The last line of the Lord's Prayer says, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. How does that phrase create a unique doctrinal stance in Christianity as compared to other world religions? Find out on this episode of Revealing the True Light. There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. Now we come to the last line of the Lord's Prayer. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What's unique about that statement and how does it set Christianity apart as a unique worldview compared to other religions in this world? There's several very important points we need to cover. First of all, I want to show you, however, how that that statement is hinged to the previous statement. The one we covered in the last podcast was uh, the statement, uh, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it leads into the statement, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So because the two statements are very much connected It's very clear that the fulfillment of the first statement, the request, hinges on the proper application of the second statement. If you don't get it right, if you don't understand the concept behind yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, you cannot expect deliverance from evil. And see, that's what most religions are predicated upon. How do we overcome the evil that's in this world? How do we deal with it? How do we define it? And most importantly, how do we overcome it? Well, Jesus gave us a major key right here, and that is acknowledging the true God and saying, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Notice he identified the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the true God. He didn't say you're one of many deities who uh, reside in a position of sovereignty over this kingdom. He said yours is the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom is yours, Yahweh. And some pronounce it Jehovah, but I believe the correct pronunciation of the name of God in the Old Testament, the Tetragrammaton, the four Hebrew letter word for God, yod heh vav is Yahweh. And in approaching, in praying to the Father, to Yahweh, Jesus identified the kingdom as belonging to him and none other. And so that automatically excludes many religions of the world that focus on a different deity altogether even though some say it's all the same and they try to blend religions together. The kingdom is not Brahman's kingdom, the ultimate reality in Hinduism. The kingdom is not Allah's kingdom, who is absolutely God in Islam, according to their view. 
The kingdom is not Krishna's. The kingdom belongs to Yahweh, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am that I am. So what does that mean? Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. First of all, you have to have a proper understanding of the kingdom if you're going to receive deliverance. Deliverance from satanic bondage. Deliverance from sin and the lower nature. Deliverance from the world system and its corruptness. What is the kingdom of God? That applies to two things in Christianity. Something that exists right now that we can access right here, right now, in a spiritual sphere. But it also relates to an age that is yet to come. The kingdom age, the messianic age, when the Lord Jesus Christ will rule on this planet. Let me cover the first aspect of it, and then we'll lead to the second. The kingdom is the higher spiritual sphere. I believe you would be right in calling it the third heaven, because we know the third heaven is paradise according to Paul's teachings. And the third heaven is where God resides, where the king resides, the king of the kingdom. In fact, that's what the word kingdom means, a king's domain. And the king resides in the third heaven. That's the realm of God, the realm of paradise. That kingdom is only accessible to those who have been born again. See, other religions, for instance, Hinduism or New Age spirituality, would liken the kingdom to maybe the astral realm, which is supposedly the next highest realm above the natural realm. And through out-of-body experiences, through meditation, yoga, chanting mantras, etc., you're supposed to be able to access that astral realm. And they might refer to it in the same terminology and say, sure, Christians are talking about the same thing when they talk about the kingdom of God. That's the astral realm. Well, it's not because the kingdom of God is only accessible to those who are born again. Jesus said, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. He cannot access the kingdom. You can access a little bit higher spiritual sphere. I would call it the second heaven, where there's tremendous demonic and and satanic and angelic activity, but you can't access the king of the kingdom unless the king dwells within your heart, which is an amazing spiritual rebirth. And the Bible describes it in pretty heavy terminology. It says that we were translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. So there is a power, a spiritual power accessible to people in this realm through things like Ouija boards or seances or things like that that are supposed to access higher realms and entities in those realms in order to uh, somehow draw supernatural power into our lives. But it's dark power. And the Bible says that God has translated us, delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And the word translated means to be totally removed from one sphere to another in a moment of time. 
Wow. That's what happened when you were born again. You were, in a sense, jerked loose from the kingdom of darkness and the power of darkness and propelled into the kingdom of light. And what is that kingdom? Well, let me tell you two things that the kingdom is by telling you what it is not. There are two scriptures in the Bible that tell us what the kingdom is not. For instance, Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So what's that talking about? It's really a reference to religious rules, because Jews were bound by the dietary laws of the Torah, and there's 613 commandments in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and quite a few of them dealt with dietary restrictions. And it was very important for a Jew, in order to be righteous before God, to keep those dietary laws, and not to eat with Gentiles, which would defile the meal, right? But Paul comes along and says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, has nothing to do with these religious dietary rules that are no longer being enforced. They may be, some of them may be very good decisions to make with regard to being healthy, but they don't determine a person's righteousness. He said the kingdom of God is much more important than religious regulations. The kingdom of God is righteousness in the Holy Spirit. That means a vibrant kind of supernatural righteousness that fills you, not a righteousness that's attained through the keeping of rules. It's a righteousness that is given as a gift. And the Bible even calls it the gift of righteousness, where God fills you with his own righteousness. Jesus in his Beatitudes said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So it's a supernatural infilling, and it's an empowerment that enables you to live a righteous life altogether more than just by the power of human will. It's also peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, which are characteristics or attributes of God. So if you really do experience this invisible kingdom, and it's right here, right now, just like there's radio waves going through this room, and you can't see them, neither can I. But if I had the right kind of device, I could tune into them and pull music and talk shows right out of the air, video and audio. In like manner, there's a kingdom right here, right now, and if I had the right device, which is a spiritually reborn heart, then I can access that kingdom and experience not just human joy, not just a human emotion, but supernatural joy. It's called the joy of the Lord. And not just peace that is calmness of mind brought about by maybe uh, the repetitious chanting of a mantra, but it's supernatural peace. It's the peace that passes understanding that the Prince of Peace, in the Hebrew it's Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace imparts to you when he comes into your heart and life. It's much different. It runs parallel in terminology, and that's what makes it so confusing to people. When I was a yoga teacher, I talked about the kingdom of God. Let me give you the other scripture, though, that tells you what the kingdom is by telling you what it's not. 
And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. This says the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And the Greek word translated power there is dunamis. It means dynamite, or it, it at least conveys the idea of something very explosive and powerful happening in your life. It's the word from which we get the word dynamite. Think of that. The kingdom of God is not in word. In other words, the kingdom of God is not just religious rules, as I previously said, and it's not just a new religious philosophical concept. It's power. It's dunamis power. It's transformational power. When the kingdom of God comes into you and when you enter the kingdom, it powerfully transforms your life. It connects you with God, reconciles you to God, wipes your sins away by the washing of the blood of Jesus. That's powerful. And it's only accessible through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I used to quote Luke chapter 17 when I was a yoga teacher to my approximately 300 students. I would mention the idea, the concept, the new age belief that God is already within every human being. There's a spark of divinity by quoting something Jesus said in his conversation with certain leaders in Judaism. Let me read it to you. Luke 17 verses 20 through 24. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, He answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them, for as the lightning that flashes Out of the one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also shall the Son of Man be in his day. That almost sounds self-contradictory because first he says the kingdom is internal, and then he says the kingdom is going to be external in a spectacular display of radiant glory, which is right. Both are right because the kingdom of God is advancing spiritually invisibly, subliminally right now, from heart to heart as people are spiritually reborn and they begin to function in the kingdom of God. But when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back again to this planet, he descends in flaming fire and all his holy angels. And the Bible said his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, that mountain outside the wall of Jerusalem will split in two. He'll walk through the golden gate, set up the kingdom of God, his government in Jerusalem, right there on Temple Mount, and the kingdom will come to the earth, and the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, the knowledge of the glory of God. So he's talking about two aspects of the kingdom. And I used that passage, or at least the beginning part of the passage, to try and prove the New Age belief of the divinity or the divine essence within every human being. Because he told the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is within you. But those were people who opposed him. And many of them were evil in their motivations and really jealous of the following he had received and rejecting his messiahship, 
Surely he wasn't saying the kingdom of God was within them. He was speaking hypothetically. He first said the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. See, they were envisioning a kingdom that would be won by military conquest, as the judges of the Old Testament had done, that Jesus would raise up an army like Gideon and rout the Romans and run them out of the Holy Land and reestablish Zionism. But that's not the way he came to accomplish it. He said the kingdom of God does not come with observation, which is to view something over a protracted period of time, to observe its progress. He said it's not going to happen that way. You're not going to see Jewish vigilantes uh, taking over a city one at a time until the Romans are defeated. He said, the kingdom of God's within you. He's speaking hypothetically. He's saying, if you experience the kingdom, it's not going to be like you envision it to be. It's going to be an internal change, a transformation. But he didn't leave out the second aspect of it. He said, when it fully comes to fruition, it will be like lightning flashing from one end of the heaven to the other. Now, how does that compare to other religions. Well, in the New Age, you actually have the envisioning of a new coming kingdom, if you will. They don't really use the word kingdom. They call it uh, the Age of Aquarius. They draw from uh, astrology and talk about this age that we're coming into, that is an age of enlightenment on the planet. And it's taught, and I used to teach as a yoga teacher back in 1970, that we were on the cusp of this new age, that we were leaving the Piscean age, an age of scientific advancement and intellectual development, and coming into the age of Aquarius that would be an age of enlightenment on the planet, where all human beings would access their higher self and live in, quote-unquote, God consciousness. Or, to interpret that bluntly, it means a conscious awareness that you are God. Well, Christianity doesn't teach that. And it doesn't teach the same method or means by which we enter this new era. Because in Christianity, the biblical view is that Jesus will come back again and the resurrection of the dead will take place and will move into the kingdom age. But in New Age spirituality and Hinduism, we are reincarnated into that age as a more highly developed human being who is awakened to the higher consciousness that is available to all human beings if they pay the price and if they discipline themselves through yogic disciplines, etc. That's not talking about the same thing. And so in the Lord's Prayer, when you say yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, you're talking about a different approach altogether. For instance, Buddhists have no concept of a kingdom because to believe in a kingdom, you've got to believe in a king. And they don't believe in a sovereign God, a kingly sovereign ruler or creator of the universe. 
Buddhism is basically atheistic. And what about Hinduism? Well, Hinduism doesn't believe in an ultimate final kingdom coming. In Christianity, we have what's called a linear linear view, which is a development of ages or eras that will finally end in ultimate and permanent perfection. In Buddhism, nothing is permanent. And you have to resign yourself over to the idea that everything will dissolve away eventually and nothing is permanent. Nothing has any lasting value. And that's called nirvana coming to that realization. But in Christianity, yes, there is going to be something permanent. And that's the establishment of this kingdom on the highest level forever. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. What's the next word? Forever. Amen. Not in Hinduism. In Hinduism, uh, we are in a certain phase called a yuga. Uh, They call their ages yugas, Y-U-G-A. And we are supposedly in the Kali Yuga, a reference to the goddess Kali, who is the most violent and vicious deity in their pantheon. I believe she's depicted with a garland of skulls around her neck and a decapitated head in one hand and a bloody sword in the other hand and a skirt made up of cut off arms, bloody arms, violent and vicious goddess. And we are in the Kali age, which supposedly is an age of degeneracy that's going to get worse and worse and worse. And supposedly, according to Hindu teaching that started in 3102 BC and will continue for another 426,898 years from now. And then, uh, and then the next avatar will come and will be brought up to a higher age, a higher era, a new yuga that is more positive, more godly, etc. But Unfortunately, in Hinduism, that's cyclical. It's not linear. It's not something that leads to an ultimate resolution of our problem. It's cyclical because once you go through the next era and then the next, it eventually descends right back into a Kali Yuga again. So it goes from bad to wonderful to bad to wonderful ad infinitum. It lasts continually. But yours is the kingdom forever. See, every time you pray that, you're declaring the coming kingdom. In fact, he told us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, in Islam, they believe in a coming era, uh, a golden era of justice, truth, and goodness that will be ushered in by the Imam Mahdi which is supposed to be some, not all Muslims believe in the Imam Mahdi, but supposedly he will usher in this golden era for just seven to nine years. And then the judgment will come and people will either go to paradise or to hell. But that's not the same as the kingdom that is declared in the Lord's prayer. See, all these things are different. In the new age, let me backtrack to that. In the new age, they believe various things. Some New Agers believe that we will move into this age of Aquarius, 
one by one as people become enlightened now, eventually hundreds and then thousands and hundreds of thousands then millions of people will come into a higher state spiritually and it will kind of tip the scale until we move over into this new age of peace on the planet. War ceases, many of the problems of the human race are solved, etc. But some New Agers believe in an actual return of the ascended masters who are supposedly great spiritual leaders. A whole array of people would be mentioned like Buddha as well as Jesus, but they don't fit together because Jesus believed in God and Buddha didn't. So anyway, they believe that there will be a return of the ascended masters but that's not the same as the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because it doesn't include a resurrection. So you have to identify the kingdom as it is, as it truly is, in order to be delivered. Deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Now for a few moments, let me touch on the power. See, in Christianity, we do receive power. Jesus said, I give you authority, or I give you power over all the power of the enemy. And the Bible talks about this power. Tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. It's power over sin, power over evil spirits, power over the lower nature, power to live uprightly, power to access the kingdom of God. And again, the Greek word is dunamis. It's explosive, what God does in your life. But in other religions, that power is described differently. See, the enemy, the enemy loves to counterfeit the real with something that's almost like the real. A counterfeit would be no good if it was completely different than the real. But when it really comes close to the real thing, then it becomes confusing. And so the enemy promises power promises power through various things. Let me just focus on one. For instance, a very popular New Age concept is the law of attraction that was popularized in The Secret. And in The Secret, they base their belief on the idea that we are God, which I believe is the antithesis of the truth, the absolute opposite. Because God is likened to the universe. The universe and God are one and the same. The universe will grant you your wishes, but this God slash universe is envisioned as a genie. And you are the one in control because the genie is usually trapped in a lamp until that lamp is rubbed by the one who has that particular item. And then the genie comes out, you know, it's mythical, but the genie comes out and says, your wish is my command. And so the one that has the lamp is in control. And in the law of attraction, you're the one in control. Yours is the power, not God's, because you envision yourself as God. Therefore, if you have repetitive positive thoughts or positive confessions, you create your own reality and you have something that people call a manifestation, a manifestation of what you speak, but you're the one exerting control. That's really drawn from Hinduism and packaged in a more Western world kind of acceptable packaging. 
that's not the same as the last statement in the Lord's Prayer. Yours is the kingdom and the power. And if you get the right revelation of the kingdom and the right revelation of the power, and you know that power belongs to God. David said that. He said, I've heard this once, I've heard it twice, that power belongs to God. But he grants it to you as a gift, but you have to be submitted to him as the higher power, accountable to him, not controlling him, like they envision in the law of attraction. And it's a him, not an it. In the law of attraction, the ultimate power is an impersonal life force, an it, not a personal God that you have a relationship with. And if you get all of that right, then you can say yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory because you're giving him glory instead of glorifying yourself. And then... It goes from time to eternity. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Wow. So if you get it right, forever is your inheritance. And you can shout an amen to that. And that word amen at the end of the Lord's Prayer means so be it or let it be so in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.